our purpose as a company is to care for people so they can be their best. And you can say those words and maybe you have it up on a plaque somewhere, but when you live it and you use it to make decisions and to really guide you, it is, I think, one of the most powerful tools a company can have. And we certainly, we had it well before the pandemic, but it was an amazing thing to help bring us together, even in the toughest of times. There's a revolution taking place right now. Talent and intelligence are equally distributed throughout the world, but opportunity is not. The talent economy, the idea that at the center of work is the talent, is the individual. The way we work has changed forever and highly skilled talent is demanding flexibility around the way they work and the way they live. This podcast brings together thought leaders, staffing experts, and top talent to talk about the evolving nature of work and how companies can navigate these changes to remain competitive, drive innovation, and ensure success. Welcome to the Talent Economy Podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Labby, Chief People Officer at TopDell. It's my pleasure to welcome Hyatt Hotels Corporation's Malika Myers. Malika is a real leader in the HR field. Since 2017, she's been the Chief Human Resources Officer at Hyatt, which consistently ranks on the list of Fortune's 100 best companies to work for. Before that, she led HR functions at Jarden Corporation, the consumer products company responsible for brands like Mr. Coffee and Papermate, at Life Sciences Company Arista, and at PepsiCo, where she spent 11 years. There's no question that Malaika is helping Nasir Hyatt through a very challenging time in the travel and hospitality industries, but she's been doing it while also leading major initiatives to promote diversity and inclusion, improve employees' mental health and well-being, and connect young people with hospitality jobs. I'm so excited to hear more about this work. Malaika, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Michelle, for having me. I'm excited for the conversation. Great. So I'd love to start by hearing a little bit about your career trajectory. You've worked in HR for essentially your whole career, and I'd love to understand what first drew you to this field. Yeah, I have worked in HR my whole career, and I often say that you should pay attention to young people, children, even when they start to talk about what they want to be when they grow up. Because for me, there are threads of of those desires that led me to HR. So when I was really young, seven, eight, nine, I decided I wanted to be a psychiatrist. And I held that for probably into my early teen years as my desire. And I think at the point when I realized that you actually had to go to medical school to be a psychiatrist, I decided that wasn't for me. I had no interest in medical school. And then I decided I wanted to be a lawyer. And that held really almost through the end of college. That was sort of my, my, my career choice. I think the thing that attracted me to psychiatry as a child was wanting to know and understand people and how they think. And I certainly have elements of that that are in the roles that I've done in HR, really having a desire to understand people and how you can help them to sort of maximize their strengths is something I do all the time. And then I wanted to be a lawyer because I think that spoke to my sense of sort of fairness and justice and equity and That too, I get to do as part of my work in HR, particularly when I think about the work that we do around diversity, equity, and inclusion. So that's how I landed here. Went, got my undergraduate degree in business, thought I would go to law school, decided along the way that I didn't really want to do three more years of school, went to business school instead, and took a few courses in HR, did an internship, and sort of found my home, found my passion. Great. And I can relate to that since I went for political science pre-law and thought I was going to do the same thing and ended up in the 
in the same place that you did. I feel like back then HR wasn't as pronounced in degrees. There was no HR that you could study. So you just kind of have to find your way and fall into it at some point. Yes. I mean, I'm dating myself, but like I was barely past the time that we moved from personnel to HR. So um, me too. it was was pretty new in terms of thinking about what we now think about as the HR profession. And I know you spent a lot of time at HR companies in the consumer product world, like Jardin and Pepsi and Diageo. But what was the transition like going from a consumer products to a hospitality company? I laugh sometimes when I tell people that I've spent all this time in consumer products companies because I realized that while we were, they are consumer products companies, we never interacted directly with consumers. All of those companies sold through uh, retailers or or third-party distributors. And coming to Hyatt, my first realization was that we were interacting directly with consumers in the must have been 20, 25 years I spent in consumer products companies. I never had someone who purchased our product write me directly. At Hyatt, I have our guests write me directly all the time. So the level of interaction and connection you actually have with, in our case, our guests is significantly more than I ever experienced in a quote-unquote consumer products-focused company. I've worked with companies that all had sort of great brands and great reputations and, and all had products that I could consume myself and use. And that was always a huge attraction for me. That was a similar thing that drew me to Hyatt, which is I was a guest, you know, I was a frequent guest of Hyatt before I ever thought about working here. It was a brand I knew and it was a brand I loved. For me, that's always added an extra element of sort of attraction. If it's something that I can personally experience and share with my friends and share with my family. I know the hospitality industry clearly has been hit hard during the pandemic. Um, I know people have canceled vacations, been quarantined, not been able to go out and not been able to travel. I feel like now we're seeing a little bit of a, a movement back towards the traveling and the openness of everything. But how did you weather the storm and the impact on the people that worked at Hyatt? I think the thing that was our North Star well before the pandemic, but that really just was the the brightest light we had to sort of anchor us was our purpose. Our purpose as a company is to care for people so they can be their best. And you can say those words and maybe you have it up on a plaque somewhere, but when you live it and you use it to make decisions and to really guide you, it is I think one of the most powerful tools a company can have. And we certainly, we had it well before the pandemic, but it was an amazing thing to help bring us together, even in the toughest of times. And it really helped to guide our decisions, guiding us to do things like establish a care fund for colleagues who were being impacted. We, like many other companies, particularly in the hospitality industry, we had to furlough colleagues. We had to lay colleagues off. And, and when your purpose is to care for people, those are really tough decisions to make. And so we knew we had to make sure that we could do it in a way that was really true to our purpose. So we created this care fund and we gave out more than $18 million of wow. funds to colleagues around the world to help them with what we knew was the financial burden that they were feeling as a result of, even if they weren't furloughed, they were re- working significantly reduced hours. It is nice to be on the other side of some of those tougher decisions. So I know that restaurant and hotel workers seem to have been producing the highest number of people leaving their jobs. 
even though Hyatt is considered a great place to work, have you been worried about this great resignation that's going on? Yes, I have. And it's impacted us maybe in a, in a slightly different way because we had to make so many tough decisions. You know, we started out at reduced staffing levels everywhere in our corporate offices and certainly in our properties. And so for us, it's while there's been some of this that's been about resignation, a lot more of it is just about our ability to hire. So as the business has returned, we've had a lot of challenges, as have many others, in actually hiring talent. Sometimes it's rehiring, trying to get people who worked for us before to come back. And many of those people, by necessity, have discovered other industries. So yes, we've absolutely seen, seen those challenges. And we're facing into them with, I think, some things that are, that are unique and some things that, that I'm sure everybody else is doing. Everybody's looking at their compensation and making sure that's competitive and the benefits and, and things of that nature. But we're also thinking about things from a cultural standpoint that could be, I sort of say to people, almost everything can be copied or matched, if you Absolutely. will. Culture is one of the hardest things to copy or to match. And so we're really trying to lean into that while also making sure that we're doing the right things across some of those other more baseline things to make sure that we can competitively attract talent. And we're working with our industry to help people sort of rediscover hospitality as an industry and as a career, perhaps many who never have thought about it before, because it's still a fantastic place for people to build a career from a frontline perspective, as well as for, for the roles that we have that are outside of the properties. We're facing the similar type of thing. We've been a fully remote company since the day we started 11 mm -hmm. years ago. So mm -hmm. we've never had an office. But now that all of these companies, remote is the new thing to do or hybrid. So we have a lot more competition in the job market. But you're right. We've had the culture and engagement of remote since our first day. So it's not something we're trying to catch up with and learn on the fly. So hopefully, you know, that differentiates us from somebody that's trying to pivot and do something learning. now. Yeah. You mentioned that you were implementing a bunch of initiatives to try to attract different types of hires from non-traditional markets. Can you tell yeah. us a little about those? This is probably the work that I am most proud of that we've done in the years that I've been here. It's an initiative we call Rise High. It's HY for Hyatt. And we launched this in 2018 when we were thinking through where we wanted to lean in, mostly from a philanthropic standpoint. That was the genesis of this work, which is thinking about philanthropically, where did we want to lean in? We landed on opportunity youth and the employment of opportunity youth. Now, opportunity youth are young people between the ages of 16 and 24 who are not working and not in school. So they are really disconnected from the economy and they exist all around the world. And we felt like that was a place we could lean into that would really help the communities in which we do business. That was the community and sort of philanthropic angle for it. We also knew that this was a, this was a talent pool that many others were not tapping into. So that if we could actually figure out how to source, hire, and develop folks from this talent pool, that it would give us access to a talent pool, which is frankly less competitive than some of the other talent pools that are more traditional. And then it also was very well aligned with our diversity, equity, inclusion goals and, and sort of initiatives. And we made a commitment to hire 10,000 opportunity youth by wow. the year 2025. Yeah. So we decided to go big. Very big. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very big, but honestly, a drop in the bucket in terms of the number of opportunity youth that are out there. 
And so one of the other things we committed to do from the beginning was to be very open sourced about this. We share the tools that we've developed and we really do a lot of work to get this message out because we need more companies who tap into this as a talent pool to help these young people get connected to the economy. The thing I love about Rise High is that it's also done more than I could have ever imagined to engage colleagues inside the organization. And their desire to mentor these young people or to work with the community-based organizations to help source them, it's just been inspiring to watch our colleagues rally around this and the pride that they feel that this is a part of what Hyatt's doing. And so true to our purpose about caring for people so they can be their best, it's really been inspiring in terms of our internal engagement. I always say I can talk for about Rise High anytime for as long as you let me. So. Well, because it's really part of the community. So you're not you're not just being seen as this yeah. corporate organization on the right. street. You're trying That's to right. like make it more about local community versus this very big corporation that just happens to have a building on the street. The communities, community-based organizations particularly have really latched onto this because there's so many wins in it. Just think about it when you have a, a property and if there's 10% of that workforce who actually live and work in a community near where that property is located. They know the best restaurants to go to. They don't have to look any of that up. You can stop anybody in the, the hallway. Yeah. They know all the shortcuts. So it's it's just such a positive for us. And it's I assume your employee referral rate is high there too. Exactly. And that's hugely important, particularly for opportunity use in these mostly underrepresented communities, because one of the first things we had to face was that you had people, people are talking about people who by and large probably haven't stayed in a hotel. It wouldn't naturally occur to them to think about hospitality as a career because they don't necessarily experience that as a part of their life. I mean, we did things like create virtual reality tours so that they could on their phone get a tour that says, here's what it looks like inside the hotel and here's what a front desk agent might do or a housekeeper might do or somebody who's part of the engineering team. So we created MIDI leverage technology as a way to just introduce hospitality as a career. That's incredible. That's an incredible story. I also read about your Change Starts Here initiative. Does that also tie into the Rise High? It does, although Rise High predated Change Starts Here. We've had a longstanding commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And Rise High was linked to that pre-existing commitment. But after George Floyd was murdered, we, like many other companies, took a look in the mirror at ourselves and said, okay, are we doing enough? Are we moving fast enough? And frankly, we, we answered that question, no, we're not moving fast enough. And so we stepped back and really said to ourselves, let's set and articulate an aspiration that not for today or for tomorrow, but that is that is five years out. Like, where do we really want to be? And one of the first communications around this topic, we entitled Change Starts Here. We didn't do that because we thought that was going to sort of be a long lasting name, but it ended up being the thing that people sort of latched onto. And so now we refer to it as Change Starts Here. And it's just a reminder for us that while there are change that we absolutely want to see in the society at large and that we work towards and support. We are very focused on what we can do in our own organization first. And so we articulated commitments in three areas, who we employ, develop, and advance, who we support, which was really more about our community efforts. And so Rise High certainly falls under that. And then who we partner with. And that 
choir focus, but it's also for us focused on our owner community. And then we set sort of 2025 aspirations around those three areas that we are measuring and communicating on a quarterly basis back to the entire organization, how we're doing against those three. They're aggressive sort of aspirations that really are causing us to think of new new and different ways, particularly around who we employ, develop, and advance. The representation one and making sure that we really get to a place where we fully represent the guests and the communities in which we do business is the place where we're seeing the most change. And I know you've been named to some of these Forbes lists, or not only will Fortune's list for the 100 greatest companies to work for, but also around diversity and LBGTQ. What can you share with other peers of ours of how you've addressed these or how you, you know, steps that you've taken to really include a whole new group and embrace this change? It may sound trite, but honestly, I think the thing that has made the biggest difference is that we have leaders who believe in this. Starting at the top with our CEO, Mark Hoplamazian, this is something he believes passionately and talks about, right? Not just believes it and sort of in secret, but <laughs> believes it and, and talks about it internally and externally. And so that's a big part of actually making progress is you, you actually have to have real support and leadership from the top. Uh, and that's shared across our executive team. We have had diversity business resource groups for quite some time, probably eight or nine years at least, and some of them much longer than that. One of the things that we've seen happen over the last year or so that I think is really catapulting us forward is that those groups have become far more diverse themselves. We call this now sort of allyship, and I don't think we didn't set out and say we're going to have an allyship program, but we really encouraged our colleagues to, particularly on the heels of articulating this aspiration around Change Start Tier, to get involved and find a place where they really felt like they wanted to lean in. And we saw people just sort of come out of the woodwork and lean in across our diversity business resource groups and not exclusively there. We've had, we have now, we have a global diversity, equity, inclusion council. We now have functional groups that have created their own councils and gone after things that they think are important in their function. So a holistic approach, I think, in terms of getting people engaged is really important. And the last thing I'll say on that, that I really think has made a difference for us is articulating a long-term aspiration. So this is there, that is sort of serving as an anchor point for everybody around what are you doing to support our change starts here efforts. They understand where we're trying to get to, what we're going to do, how we're going to measure our progress. And it allows them to be incredibly creative about how they can lean in to help. And maybe I said that was the last thing, but I have one more thing that um, <laughs> that might be a bit of a tip for other people also on this journey. One of the things we did this year is we said to everyone who was bonus eligible, normally we have four or five objectives, annual objectives that people put in place, individual objectives. And we said to everyone that's bonus eligible, one of those objectives has to be in support of Change Starts Here. And so that really prompted every one of those colleagues, thousands of colleagues to say to themselves, how am I going to play a part in bringing about the change that we want to see? It could be everything from leaning into a diversity business resource group or working with one of our community-based organizations or taking a bit of learning. We didn't limit their thinking about what they could do, but we said you had to have something that connects you to our aspirations around change starts here. 
I wanted to go back to one thing that you mentioned about you taking care of employees and caring about each other and making sure everybody felt supported. And I had read about you having this Hyatt wellness check. Could you tell me more about that? Many of our properties actually suspended their operations for a period of time. There just was no business. As they started to open up, the primary thing on our mind was guest and colleague safety. And from a colleague standpoint, we put in place a daily survey, really, wellness check, where we asked, how comfortable are you? How confident are you? Do you have the tools that you need? So that we were literally able to know on a daily basis how colleagues were feeling and and troubleshoot it, not just know it, but actually go and say, okay, our housekeepers are ranking this low. Why? And you'd find things like, well, the gloves we gave them are hard to put on. So they're, they're not using them. So we need to get them different gloves. Very tactically, we were able to keep our finger on the pulse of whether our colleagues were feeling that they were safe and cared for, because only if they feel that way, can they actually provide that same care for our guests. So that's one thing we did. And then the issue of mental health, we launched an actual mental health assessment tool we call Hyatt WellCheck. It is a tool, maybe takes you three or four minutes to complete. It asks you a series of questions, everything from how you're connecting with others to how you're sleeping. And at the end, it gives you literally an assessment around how's your level of anxiety? Are you headed towards and maybe in a a state of depression? Are you getting enough rest? And then tells you if there are areas where you may be either in danger from a mental health standpoint or headed towards a place where your, your mental health isn't what it needs to be. We actually have tools and resources then so that colleagues can, within the assessment tool, directly link into other resources that can help support them. And it's confidential, like you fill it out, nobody sees it. And we've had over, I think the number might be 11 or 12,000 colleagues take this assessment over the course of the year so far. And it was something we just wanted to put in place because we know mental health is really tough for people to talk about still. I hope one day that won't be true. I hope we'll talk about mental health like we talk about going to the dentist. There are places where it's really difficult for people to talk about it. And we wanted to be sure to have some way for colleagues to assess themselves and to get support, even if they weren't comfortable talking to anyone at work about it. So again, it's it's another way for us to care and to demonstrate that care to our colleagues. Is this something that you built yourself? We didn't. No, that's a really good point because we. this is not our business. We built this in connection with Will Carnell. So we had a lot of, ex- it's actually their tool. I shouldn't even say we built it. It's their tool. And we were able to partner with them. They built it for healthcare workers because they were concerned about right. the mental well-being of healthcare workers. They were interested in exploring its use outside of healthcare, and we raised our hands and said, we'd love to partner with you. And so they made some adjustments for us to make it more hospitality focused, and it's been a terrific partnership. It sounds in the direction everybody's heading, first the check of your workers going back to the office, especially in the hybrid world that people are trying to push that needle of we're going back now. Now it's January. First, it was September and, yeah. and getting people's comfortability with returning to the office. And then if we continue to be remote, it is isolating for a lot of people. It, it is. It's funny. We have people who feel like they really benefited from being remote, but you have equally people who feel like they have really suffered. Yeah. yeah. Well, this has been a great conversation. I really appreciate you joining us here at the Talent Economy Podcast. I look forward to following you online and seeing all the things that you're going to do going forward and hitting that 10,000 
entire mark. <laughs> that will be a huge celebration. I don't think you'll be able to miss that one <laughs> when we when we when we hit it. And I thank you, Michelle. It's uh, it's been a pleasure to chat with you and share a little bit about what we're doing. And uh, I look forward to following you online as well, so I can <laughs> I can learn from some of my peers because I think there's great things going on all over the place, and uh, it's always great to have someone put them in front of you. So thank you for that. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to The Talent Economy. I'm your host, Michelle Labby. You can find much more information about The Talent Economy on staffing.com and toptel.com slash insights. Hubs for bold, comprehensive content featuring business thought leaders and authoritative research focused on the future of work. 